do not rush. Don't think that if a promotion doesn't happen in the next six months or so, it's because you're failing. More than rushing to get the new title or the new job, learn as much as you can. Try not to run, try to walk, and then learn every single step to get to where you want to be. Welcome to the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Turk. Join me as we dive into the personal stories of some of the world's best hospitality professionals. We follow the journey of their ups, downs, and wild turns to find out what it truly takes to make it in the amazing world of hospitality. This episode is brought to you by our podcast partners at Real-Time Reservation. Their inventory management system is best in class for hotels and resorts to manage their non-room inventory. The web-based application allows for creative upselling of overnight and daytime visitors with add-ons and pre-planned packages. Hotel guests and non-guests can reserve cabanas, pool chairs, activities, amenities, excursions, events, day passes, and much more. The real-time reservation platform offers a fully integrated pre-arrival portal where guests are verified through the property management system. Guests can prepay for cabanas and activities through credit card integrations, which are then processed through point of sale. All of our listeners that might be interested in using real-time reservation are welcome to explore the demo at realtimereservation.com. Once again, that's realtimereservation.com. Welcome to another episode of the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. I'm excited. I've been waiting for this one. I've got Armando Campos, the Vice President of Food and Beverage for the Fontainebleau Hotel here in Miami Beach. Armando, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, Armando, we always get started with what was your first job in hospitality? Well, you know, it's, it's a good question and interesting enough. I actually started my career being a supervisor. I did not go through being a server, being anybody on the line level. So I actually was very lucky to start as a food and beverage supervisor. Funny story, I always wanted to start in rooms because back in the day, I don't know if you remember this, but back in the day, everybody wanted to be a GM and the route to get to be a GM was actually going into rooms. So that was what I wanted to do, but I I got out of college offered to uh, come to the States, actually, and, and start as a food and beverage supervisor at a 500-room hotel in Orlando, Florida. So you grew up in Mexico. Is that something that you were you went to school to study in college, or was it something that you knew you wanted to do? How did you know you wanted to, to do that? No, actually, my first semester in college was for international relations. That was a, that was a career that I was going for. And funny enough, it was just a lot of geography and i said you know i don't really want to do this this is too much of reading and just going through math and stuff like that before getting into getting into the, the real stuff right so left that left that career that degree and moved to a couple of my friends actually went to hospitality school and they were telling me oh you know this is where you get to practice and study at the same time so you see some mutual type of career and where where your whole university four or five years of, of degree really don't go just by studying so it's a lot of practicing which is great and I gave it a try you know when I when I decided to go to a hospitality school my dad told me you know you're never going to be a millionaire going to hotel school you're going to be working when all, when other people are actually having fun you're going to be working weekends when other people are enjoying their weekends so is this really what you want to do and at that moment because of everybody really telling me about the how cool the 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 career was i said you know i'm gonna go for it i think this is something that i'm good at i always love to be around people and very chatty and things like that so decided to go and and give it a try and and now i'm here right after many years oh wow so had you ever been to united states being in mexico or was this your first time when you landed in orlando how did you choose that place I chose Orlando because of the university I went to in Mexico, partnered with the American Lodging Association here in the United States. So actually the degree that we got in Mexico is validated here in the United States. So that's one of the reasons why I selected that university. And after finishing college, they have all of these internships where you were able to come to the, to the States. And Orlando was a big place where they had this internship going on. But interesting enough, I actually was born in Texas. So I, I was a citizen since day one, never, never lived in the United States before, other than coming every probably a couple of times a year. So being in Mexico and for us 
you know, United States being the, the, the country that we see the most. Everything that happens in the United States affects Mexico and vice versa a little bit. So no, I, I was able, since I was a kid, to come to Disney many, many times, Disney, California, Disney, Florida. And, you know, I always saw the United States as a good place to have fun and, and enjoy until I decided to come and, and check it out for that internship. So I did a year of internship and I got promoted actually within my internship before my 90 days. They kicked me out of the internship and they gave me an assistant manager position in the restaurant. So in, in before, before 90 days, I was able actually to jump from being an intern to now be an assistant manager on food and beverage. So then I always said, you know, every year I wanted to go, to go back to Mexico. I said, next year is going to be the year where I pack my stuff and go back to Mexico and be with my family and friends and continue to move up in my career until I decided just to stay here, you know, got married and said, you know, this is a much better place, more secure place than in Mexico. So why not? Let's give it a try. And, and that way I can see what I can really buy myself and for myself. And, you know, eventually things continue to do pretty good for me and to a point where I'm here now after also leaving hospitality for a little bit. And we're going to get into that in, in, yep. in a couple of minutes. But yeah. So which hotel was the first hotel? Was it the Sheraton Studio City? Was that the first hotel you worked at? That was my first hotel, Sheraton Studio City. Absolutely. And so what was that like? You know, it's a big difference going from supervisor and then getting promoted quickly. So you impressed a lot of people. But the first time you became a manager and you're leading other people, you're pretty young at the time. What was that like as being a first time manager? You know, very interesting because, again, everybody thinks that you're young. Everybody thinks that how you're getting promoted and many people that have been doing so many jobs as server supervisors, they're not. I think one of the most important things for me was if I'm getting promoted is because I need to lead people and to lead people, I need to get knowledge. So I started reading a lot. I was very close to my boss back in the day and I was asking all the questions, right? I said, open the book for me. So he was doing a PNL reviews and I wanted to be next to him by in learning all the PNLs and making sure that whatever he, he knew. I, so I, I think just being ahead of the game to other people helped me a lot. And eventually people realized that I had the knowledge or I was learning that, that they were not eager to learn or put the time into it to make sure that they knew what they were doing. And they thought that just because of being in one position for many, many months or years, was going to give them the next step, right? And I think in our industry uh, continues to happen. People think that because they have been in one, in one place or in one position for many years or months, they deserve the next opportunity, which is uh, I completely disagree. I think you deserve it based on your results and how much you can really learn and and and, and filter that information and that knowledge to everybody else. Well, you're there for you know, a good chunk of time. You're there two years, almost three years, and yeah. then you make a nice jump, which is a pretty good jump. You become assistant F&B director yeah. for Radisson Hotels. At a, a, I, think, I think it's a much bigger hotel. Yeah, is that was, something that you wanted or they came found you? How did you get that? Job? You know, they can find me. So I started knowing people in the hotel industry and, you know, Orlando as Miami is very small. It's big, but it's small also in hospitality. So people got to know me in different networking events and, and they asked me if I wanted to, to take the next step. And, uh, and at that moment, I said, you know, if you don't take it, then you never know when it's going to happen again. So one of the things that, that happened back in the day is, again, I, I, I tell people that working in small hotels can give you a, a huge advantage, right? And I actually had this conversation yesterday. Oh, wow. I was doing an interview at home. I was at home off on my day off, but I actually scheduled an interview with someone who wants to come and be part of our team here at the Fontainebleau. And when I finished the interview, my stepdaughter asked me, oh my God, you're rough on interviews. I never, I, I would have never want to be interviewed by anybody like you. And I said, well, you know, the interview is the only time that you actually can get to know the future, your future manager, your future, whatever that person is going to be doing for you. And I said, so you have one shot. So you need to make sure that you get everything out of that person to make sure it's the right fit for the position. But with that said, she was asking me, so how do you feel going from smaller hotels to big hotels? Like what is better, small or big? And I said, you know what? There is a little bit of benefits in both. And one of the benefits working in small hotels is you can get to do everything. So when I was at the Sheraton Studio City, I was, a, I, I was running the restaurant room service when they had banquet events and the, the banquet manager was off because the events were small events or, or minimal amount of events going on and he needed to be there on the days that he was busier. They taught me how to do banquets, how to close checks in banquets, how to do schedules in banquets. So that way I could take over banquets when he was not there. After when they made me a, a manager, right? Because it was just, I was really running food and beverage on the PM and, and that's what it was. You know, they put the young mm -hmm. guys work PMs because nobody wanted to work PMs. Yeah. When you realize PMs is probably the most complex operation in hotels is when your dinner gets heavy on the restaurants, it's a lot more complex than your breakfast. 
is when room service is, it gets complex, right? In the morning is kind of simple with your different breakfasts that you offer, but at night is a little bit of everything. And the orders are a lot more complex and more delicate to deliver. And then banquets. So when someone says, what is better working in small hotels and big hotels, I always will say, learn from a small hotel so you can bring all of that experience to the big hotels. That's true. That happened to me once when I was at Viceroy. I had to learn the most there just to be successful because there's not as many layers. So you had to learn. And then you went, then I went to big hotels right after that. So that's true. So you're there, you know, short amount of time, you do a good job because then you make a jump to the double tree by Hilton at SeaWorld. So mega hotel, right? This is one of those, you, you, follow, you work in these worlds, these mega hotels, these big hotels. How did you end up at that spot? A good friend of mine actually became the, the assistant general manager of that hotel and called me and said, hey, come over to work with us. They made me director of restaurants at that hotel, 1100 rooms, which actually back in the day, I don't know now, but used to be the biggest double tree in United States. So it's, uh, and yep. it's been branded as double tree for many, many years. And, and it's just a busy hotel. Again, probably not at the quality of hotel that I wanted to be, because in my mind, I, I always wanted to work for big names such as Four Seasons, San Regis, Penins. But you know, are the positions that were offered to me, and those are the hotels that were going after me back in the day. So I said, you know, we need to, we need to take it. We need to take all, the, all, all of these jobs in order for me to continue to grow and learn. And it was just great. And another great hotel where the structure is not as big as, as the hotels that I was going to after. So because the structure is not big, you continue to do a lot of things yourself. So sometimes we didn't have a director of banquets, so I needed to cover for the director of banquets. You know, our FMB director, and I remember this is back in 2007 and 8 and 9 when the recession happened in the United States. So we mm -hmm. had to lay off our director of food and beverage. So funny story, I was called to the GM's office and, and I was told that our director of food and beverage was not be part of the hotel any longer. And if I was okay taking more responsibilities, which at that moment I said, absolutely, listen, I'll take any responsibilities you want to give me right now. I'm a sponge. I'm young. At that moment, I the only thing that I care was to continue to grow up on my career and, and, and continue to get to the goal that I had back in the day, which was my goal was to become a, a director of food and beverage before the age of 30, which thankfully I was able to accomplish that. And it couldn't be if, if all of these moves didn't happen back in the day when I was younger. So when you're there, you know, that's a thousand plus room hotel. A lot of people don't have that opportunity to work in a place like that. Is there a big difference between a hotel that size versus one that's 500 rooms? Or is it oh, same thing, just more people? How do you see that? It is and it is not. Once you structure a department doesn't matter, or a hotel, doesn't matter how small or how big it is, at the end of the day, you're going to be managing people, product, and services, right? So you just need to make sure that the structure you have with you is the right structure to, to, to be able to deliver the results that the hotel and yourself want to deliver. So it is it is the same and it's not. I, I do believe, and now that I've been working in my career in bigger hotels, you know, the bigger hotel it is, it gives you the better structure to run things. And, and when you get into big positions, to really fly high in order just for you to manage everything else and make sure that you give the tools and the and the guidance to the people behind you. So I do I do feel that it's almost the same. However, at the end of the day, your responsibilities are bigger. So you need to make sure that you are open-minded that that you have to cover more either with say with the same amount of people in some in some places or adding more people, but having the same vision to make sure that everybody else gets a piece of you and they understand your vision that, that is going to get the hotel to make the goals that you have in mind and the hotel has in mind. Yeah, those are very good points. I think, and if you're a listener listening to this, just go back and rewind it because he gives you some good points of just creating structure. If you don't have that structure, right, Armando, you're not going to be successful in any operation. So now, when I was a director of banquets, and I think that's the next step in my career, but I became a director of banquets for a very large hotel in Orlando, which is the Hilton Convention Center. I was very happy to open that hotel and very blessed to be part of the opening hotel, the opening team of, of that hotel, which it was almost 300,000 square feet of meeting space, which is humongous, right? Set the scene there. Brand new opening. That's a mega hotel. So I want to get into that. How did you end up there? Again, with, you know, working in Hilton, Doubletree, this hotel opened up and I got the opportunity to be asked if I wanted to be part of the opening of that hotel. I actually was the assistant director of banquets, the opener assistant director of banquets. And three months after we opened the hotel, I was moved to director of banquets and my director of banquets three months after left the property. And I, I got the chance to be part of the pre-opening team, which was probably about three to four months before opening the hotel. So at that point, uh, Hilton executives and, and hotel executives saw what I was capable of. 
So when our director of banquets left three months into the opening, they just promoted me without really interviewing anybody else. They just pushed me to be a director of banquets for this humongous hotel. And yeah, it's, it's amazing from, from the OSNE and FFNE purchases, imagine how how much we needed to purchase for 300,000 square feet of meeting space. It was just insane. But again, structuring the department the right way before opening was what it took us to be very successful on that area. And months after, actually probably a year after we opened the hotel, we were asked by Hilton to create a training called the Hilton University, where all the big boxes, hotels in Hilton, which they're called big boxes, which is 100,000 I think it's 75,000 square feet and above. They, 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 were, they were in the pot of big box Hilton hotels. So they asked us to put together all the training manual and, and operating processes and procedures to make sure that every single Hilton was following our lead and have the same success that we had, mm-hmm. uh, which was great to be part of something like that. And we had many, many Hiltons and many directors of banquets coming to our hotel to be trained on how to run a big banquet operation like the one that we had. So set, set the scene because for a lot of listeners... 300,000 square feet, you can't even understand what that is. How many people could you be hosting at max capacity? How many events are going on in that kind of place? Oh, my God. I I remember vividly, and I keep telling people about this. My busiest night at that property was 52 dinners from 1,500 people, the largest dinner, to a, I believe it was like 50 people, right? So it was a big convention that had a lot of small events going on all over the place. So we did 52 dinners in one night. And that's how big this can get. Our biggest ballroom at that property had, that big ballroom had 58,000 square feet of meeting space in one one ballroom. So we could feed up to 6,000 people on a plated dinner. That's crazy. So basically when I, when I hear 52 dinner, you're running 52 restaurants because they all require attention. They all have different menus, maybe similar things at that time, but that's crazy to hear yeah. that size number. You know, it's easier to do a stadium when you know, like you got your outlets and people can come up and pay. Like you never know with 52 different dinners what's going to happen. That's that's amazing. People ask, how do you provide service when you're doing, let's say, a 6,000 people event, 6,000 yes. late dinner event? How do you provide service? I just tell them, divide the room. The 6,000 people, you divide it in, in 60 or 100 people events and you have a captain per 100 guests. In that captain, the only thing that needs to do is take care of 100 people. And they're a captain of 100 people and vice versa. And you continue until you cover the 6,000 guests that you're going to have that night. So that way, no, nobody has to worry for more than 100 guests at a time. If you if you really cut your party into small chunks, service is going to be is going to be to a point. Again, you have enough servers to take care of 100 people at a time and then until you get to your total total amount. And, and that's the way you really take care of a big dinner or a big event. It doesn't matter if it's breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And that's the only way that you can provide that service. And not a lot of people actually do that in banquets. A lot of people worry too much about the entire function and, and you start running around without really focusing on small chunks in order to you for you to, to focus on those small chunks and your captains and your servers and, and if you do that, at the end of the day, you're going to have a very successful event. That's great advice. And so, you know, a lot of people have either worked in banquets or have worked in restaurants. You know, I, it was funny. I experienced during the pandemic where we had Joe Fuentes, who we'll talk about the lows in a little bit, who had come from banquets, come to the breakfast restaurants. Like, this is crazy. I prefer my, my banquets versus the restaurant. What do you see as being the biggest difference? Well, you know, in banquets, one of the biggest differences in banquets, you know what your guests are going to have, right? So, you know, you know everything about your function. You know what time they're coming in. You know what they're eating. You know at what time their toast is going to be. If they have toast, you know what time you're cutting the cake if it's, it's, it's a wedding. So you really, one of the things that I tell people is if anything happens in banquets is because you did not organize yourself very well. Why? Because you knew everything about the function. In, in restaurants, you don't know anything about your restaurants. Mm-hmm. Other than right now, nowadays, technology is great and many platforms where it tells us how many how many people are going to come at a time, right? Because we have already all the bookings prior to opening the restaurant. But you don't know if those guests are going to be on time. You don't know if those guests are going to add a couple of more guests to the table. You don't know if they're going to order appetizers or not. You don't know what type of wine they're going to like and they're going to order. So you really don't know much other than the reservations you have already on your platform. However, how many restaurants, and I'll give you an example here at the Fontainebleau, one of our restaurants really is very accurate when it comes to our reservations. So if we have 100 reservations, we know that that night probably is going to be a night of 120, 130 people because there is no many walkings on that specific restaurant. We have another one, which is our steakhouse. 
that we probably have 20% reservations ratio, and then the other 80% is walk-ins. So wow. you need to be, you don't know exactly what, what you're going to get yourself into. And for that, you just use a lot of different tools, right? So you use the tools of going back and realizing how many reservations you have on every single Monday. So you know that today, because of a Monday and based on the amount of group business we have going on, the more or less you're going to have X amount of covers tonight. Other than that, you don't know it. So when you come from an organized department, which is banquets, to not knowing what's going to happen tonight, it really shifts a, a little bit the way you do things. And uh, But you need to have that mindset that you understand that in food and beverage, the food and beverage is different and going from banquets to restaurants is, is going to be completely, completely different. Yeah, I think you nailed it. You, you hit it pretty clear. So you gain all this experience. You're crushing it as director of banquets at a mega hotel in Orlando. But then you make a, a move down to Miami Beach. How does this happen? Walk me through. Where did you end up? When I was at the Hilton, you know, because uh, again, this industry is very big, but it's very small at the same time. So being in Orlando, I got to know people that worked at the Lowe's before. And somehow my name went all the way to Alex Tonorelli that back in the day was our managing director at the Lowe's Miami Beach. So Alex Tonorelli called me telling me that they needed a director of banquets at the Lowe's Miami Beach with the idea of that director of banquets really helping not only changing and restructuring banquets at the Lowe's Miami, but in the entire, they wanted to have completely new equipment for all the Lowe's hotels, completely new processes and systems and use technology in all the hotels. The Lowe's back in the day was probably behind technology. You, you worked at the Lowe's mm -hmm. uh, back in the day and you probably can 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 relate to this. Um, yes. And they, they wanted just to bring all of the new era of food and beverage into the Lowe's and they wanted me to start with banquets with conversations of, you know, you do a good job in banquets and then you can become our next FMB director, which at the end of the day, that was my goal. And, uh, and it happened like that. I came to the Lowe's Miami, did a great job for about a year and a couple of months as the director of banquets, helped the company to restructure banquets throughout the entire company. And then our director of food and beverage moved up and then I got the opportunity to become the FMB director. Now I want to talk about that, but I want to talk about, you know, just cause we missed each other by just about a year. So we never worked together, but I'll touch on why I feel like we did sometimes, but you get there and it's before their $50 million renovation. You just came from a brand new mega hotel in Orlando. How did you feel when you walked into Lowe's? Cause it was still like the old looking Lowe's when you got there. It was a great opportunity. So you just said it. So I walked into a, a property that was open in 1998 and probably did not have any facelifts or renovations since then. When I got to the Lowe's was 2011. So give or take, it was 13 years after the hotel opened, right? So I looked at the banquet equipment. I looked at the banquet rooms. I remember they still had a lot of decorations that were from, from the late 90s. Yeah. And, and, and I was, I, a couple of times, believe it or not, I, I did feel like, oh my God, what am I doing here? But, you know, looking at the future and knowing that the idea was to renovate and the idea was to bring the levels of service and, and, and quality of product to a different level, I said, you know, we just need to start. We need to, we need to look ahead and forget about what it is today because this is not what it's going to be tomorrow. So it started, I felt also, one of the good things about the Lowe's, and, and again, you worked in that property and you can relate to this, the Lowe's always had a great structure so it was it is a 790 room hotel but that 790 room hotel because of being also one of the biggest revenue generators of of the entire Lowe's company they always had a great structure where you had the layers in management and that's what i liked i said you know i'm coming to a smaller property but there is layers under me i had assistant directors i had managers i had many captains in in, in the banquet area i had a set of managers set of supervisors so the layers were great for me i said these layers are really going to give me the opportunity to focus on the renovations and to focus on making the hotel in the banquet area a lot better and focusing also on what the corporate office was asking for. So it was great at that moment. You know, I, I, I did feel, as you said, that the hotel was outdated. Mm -hmm. uh, but then, years after, we started with banquets and we renovated all the banquet area. Then it became the F&B director of the hotel. And that's, that's when Jonathan Tisch, our chairman and CEO back in the day of Lowe's and the entire corporate office decided to put $50 million to renovate the entire property. And, you know, I was very proud to be part of it and, and to help with the concepts that, that that property currently has and being able to to be the person that actually was leading food and beverage into the renovation and what is what, what Lowe's is, is what Lowe's Miami is all about right now, which is, is a great property. It's an amazing property. You look at the size of the property and the, and the revenues they generate, it's, it's just an amazing property, another iconic property in, in Miami Beach for sure. Yeah, you did a great job with all the outlets and helping put it together. 
But I want to get back to how it felt. So you set this goal for yourself to become a food and beverage director by the time you were 30. And, you know, I've been a food and beverage director and I know how I felt when I got into that chair. What did it feel like for you? Was it like, wow, I made it? Or was it like, oh, now I'm actually here? You know, it was it was very interesting because I was for the first, I don't know, the first couple of weeks, I was happy and excited that, you know, I am where I wanted to be. I, I made my goal and I was patting myself on the back. But then you wake up and you realize that, okay, you made your goal now, what is next? And, and that next is to realize what took you to, to that goal and, and to meet the goal. And, and I realized that it was everybody else that I was reporting to and all the bosses that I had that actually looked down at me and helped me becoming that FMB director and, and taught me everything that they could in order for me to learn everything that I know now and become an FMB director. So when I was at that moment, a couple of weeks after becoming an FMB director, I, I decided to look down at everybody else that was looking up at me and be, help me, Armando, and like, now I need your mentorship, I need your support, I need I need everything that you that you know and have in order for me to be the next one. So at that moment, I, I kind of created a list of everybody that I knew that they were going to be taking the next steps and becoming managers and, and assistant directors and directors. And, and really start helping everybody that I that I knew that they needed to become that director. And, you know, thankfully, after many years to see people that work for me and with me that now are at that level, they're FMB directors in smaller properties or medium-sized properties, directors of banquets. So when you realize that you're not only working for your goals, you're working for everybody else's goals, including the company above you and then everybody else that is reporting to you and to make sure that your success is not really your success is the company's success and it's, it's actually the people that work with you and for your success and nowadays is is what makes me happy like every day when i come to work it's not about me it's, it's really about the company at the end of the day you're hired you're put in positions to succeed personally but also you're here to make sure that the company succeeds and, and the people that work with you and for you are also succeeding because they're the ones that are going to be carrying all the weight right we get to positions like the one that I have right now, where you become a more financial and, and a mentor person than anything else. You, you don't get to be on the operation every day, like, every day like you used to when you were a younger manager. So you need to rely on everybody else that is that is under you, but not only relying is, is, is the way to go. You need to teach them, you need to guide them in order for them, for them to do the right thing and for, for them to deliver the results that you're expecting. It's true. And the other thing I don't think people realize, and hopefully you can touch on it, is when you become an executive and you have to work with other executives running their departments, you know, sometimes not everyone's goals align and you have to battle for your departments. You know, how did you learn to navigate that as a first time FMB director? Well, you want to you want to be the shiny star, right? So and, and I think everybody, everybody wants to be the shiny star. If you, if you don't have that in you, then it's difficult that you're going to show any, any success in your career. So you, you want to shine, you want your department to shine. But when you become a, a, an executive committee member in a, in a company, regardless if it's a hotel or not a hotel, you need to make sure that now you're part of a committee that actually are delivering the goals for the entire property. So sometimes people will ask me, my managers will ask me, Armando, how come we are taking on the cost of delivering amenities for VIPs? Because it is the best decision for the hotel. It's not only food and beverage now. You, you start looking at the big picture and the bigger picture, which is anything that we decide as executive committee members has to do the right decision to make the hotel and the company successful and to meet the goals as a, as a hotel, not only as food and beverage, right? Sometimes you have to battle your own departmental or divisional goals and, and decisions, but at the end of the day, you need to understand that it, there is one goal, and the goal is that the hotel as a hotel is very successful. So that's when you start partnering with the other executives to make sure that the right decisions are made on the table to ensure that the whole hotel is going to benefit from that decision. And like you said, you had a good run at the at this hotel, the Lowe's. You helped rebrand it into what it is today. So. Listeners, if you haven't been there, you can go online and see all the public spaces and the pool deck and the restaurants. And Armando had a gigantic hand in creating those where I actually got to work inside of them a couple of years later. But you make a, an interesting move. You go back to a familiar place, right? You head back to Orlando, to the Hilton as director of food and beverage. How does that yeah. happen? Well, it, it, there was personal things happening to me. I was married and then I separated from my ex-wife and we decided she moved to Orlando because we spent a lot of time in Orlando back in the day. So she moved back to Orlando. And at that moment, we were having conversations of, of trying to make the, 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 the relationship work again. And, and in order for that to happen, I needed to go to Orlando because she did not want to come to Miami. So, you know, I, I 
Lowe's wanted me to go to Orlando and I wanted to go to Orlando with Lowe's. But after, I will say probably six, seven months, nothing happened. And we decided that it was good for me to look outside the outside the company. Long story short, again, going back to Hilton, which is what I worked in Orlando, they had the opportunity for me to go in and reopen this iconic resort in Orlando, which is the Buena Vista Palace. So Hilton took it over and we needed to rebrand that hotel to become a Hilton. And that's the opportunity that I got to go back to Orlando. I was there for shy a year. And again, Things didn't work out on my personal my personal situation. So our GM here at the Lowe's Miami called me back and said, listen, if things are not working out in Orlando, you really want to get back to Miami. The job is still here waiting for you and, and made the decision and came back to, to Miami. So what was that like? Was it like surprising everybody or was everyone like, oh, we knew he was coming back? Because I don't know this part of the story. What was that like? Because you left just shy of a year, then you come back to your office. Was it like, ah, oh, I'm home? Or you know, what was that like? Yeah, you, you know, it's funny, but for that year that I was out of the lows, a lot of people actually kept calling me and I was still working with a lot of people here, you know, they used to work with me at the lows. So the, the director of banquets, the director of restaurants and everybody actually was calling me and check on me and hey, when are you coming back? And everybody probably, you know, it's one of those that you always think that is going to happen, probably be, not, not on a daily basis, but in the back of your mind, you always think that you're going to go back to that place that, it, that mm-hmm. it's called. And that's how the lows fell for me. And, and I, I, I felt about it. It was just home. So when that happened, I said, you know, this is just destiny, you know, and I do believe in destiny. And I think I do believe that things happen for a reason. So I was able to get back to what I created in, in a sense, right? I created with a, a huge amount of people at the lows, but it was part of, of me and I didn't get to see or enjoy many of the results of our renovation. So I said, you know, I want to go back and really enjoy what we created and, and, and it happened to me. So I was able to get back to the lows for probably another year, year and a half. I don't remember well, that was back at the lows. It's funny. So I want to, I want to put this on record before we leave the lows. So, you know, Armando, we had met like a handful of times cause I had my staffing company at the time and I was outside of the hotel world, but had my staffing company. And I was always impressed with Armando, well-dressed, handsome, you know, like you see the South Beach guy, because Armando's the hotelier. Like that's the guy you choose to put in the movie. But I'll never forget one of our mentors, maybe not one of your mentors, but a friend of ours, Moot Lukachuk, who just said he'll be episode 50 guest. So let's see if he keeps his word. Hired me to be a food and beverage director when he was at the Eden Rock. And I, you know, I knew Armando three or four times we met. And the way Moot motivated me, and I want him to hear this in the crowd, because different ways to motivate people was... Armando would never let this happen at the Lowe's in food and beverage. <laughs> and I didn't know Armando. So I just started getting this. I just had to compete against him in my own head, but it was great. So Armando, I used you as competition to boost myself up, to get to high levels in <laughs> hotels because of our, our friend Mutlu. So I wanted to share that part with you because it just makes me laugh every time I talk to you. That is amazing. And I can see it from him, you know, trying to make sure that you start getting some competition going uh, to tell you about mm-hmm. No, listen, uh, it's, it's not what I did, it's what the team did. And, you know, Mundo has, has been great as a, as a boss and, and now as a friend. After I left Lowe's, uh, Mundo and I became very good friends. And, and I think working for someone like him is always great. He's a person, and, and you work with him, he's, he's not an easy person, right? He's always asking for more and, and to excel. And, and that's what he's, he has given him the opportunity to continue to grow his career as well. So He pushes you to be the best. And we will be right back. I have personally used Treyaway at the Eden Rock Hotel and Lowe's Miami Beach Hotel. Treyaway has finally solved the age-old problem of dirty room service trays cluttering the hotel hallways. It is affordable and easy to use. Guests and staff love it. They will even send you a free product kit so you can try it before you buy it. Use promo code TURK10 for a 10% discount on all Treyaway products and services. And now, back to the show. Let's continue on this journey because I don't know this part of your story. You leave Lowe's and you join a really cool hotel brand. How does that happen? Give us the update on what happens after Lowe's. When I got back to the Lowe's Miami, again, it was great coming back to to Miami and to my home. And then um, based on a lot of different things, which the one I mentioned, like personally, you know, getting a divorce and coming back to Miami and all of that. After being with the Lowe's back in the Lowe's for a year, probably a couple of months, I said, you know, it will be good for me to really completely change the atmosphere, right? Completely change what I'm used to just because of I want to start fresh. And I talked to Mudlu and Alex Tornarelli, that was our managing director back in the day, and many people at the corporate office with Lowe's. And, uh, you know, we had conversations about other properties uh, within Lowe's. 
And uh, long story short, again, you know, I, I was able to be approached by Montage International about a new brand that they, they were opening back in the day, which mm-hmm. is Penry Hotels. Penry Hotels, for all of you on the audience that don't know what Penry is or, or all about, Penry is a subdivision of Montage. Montage is the luxury, high luxury brand of the company. And then Penry is the luxury boutique life brand within Montage. So when they were building the hotel and about to open the hotel, I started conversations with them. It took me actually, you know, about six months actually to work on this deal to go to California. Wow. Yeah. Long story short, at the end of the day, we worked the deal and, and I went to be the director of food and beverage at the Pendry San Diego, which is an amazing property. Going from bigger, from big hotels to a smaller hotel. Pendry had only 330 rooms. But it was all about food and beverage in that in that hotel. Five restaurants and venues, including a nightclub. And that's what I started getting my food and beverage experience a little bit more with a lot more variety, right? Now, including a day club and a nightclub, which I, I never had before. With Penry, uh, I was able to have it and also to work with partners. So the nightclub in one of our restaurants actually was a partnership with Click Hospitality out of Vegas. And that was my first experience really dealing with a third party restaurant management company, which was actually a very, it was a very cool environment because they were not managing, we were managing. It was our staff, Pendry Montage staff, but they're the, they're the ones that created the concept and we needed to follow some of the concept standards that they had for the place, but it was all our staff which is the same same deal that we have right now going on at the Fontainebleau, right? So it was very cool to be part of it. I was there for a little bit over two and a half years. And then, you know, another personal story. So my girlfriend, when I was 15 years old, which is now my current wife, we remade in San Diego. Wow. So not, not looking for that, but we were able to remade in San Diego. Uh, me out of five years, uh, five years of, of being divorced from my first wife and her also being divorced from the first uh, marriage. And then we decided to start seeing each other after she, uh, she knew and I knew that, that she was in San Diego. And long story short, now we have a two year and eight months daughter, which is my craziness outside work. This is what I enjoy spending most of my time when I'm not here at the hotel. And so when we knew that- yeah, we I want were- to give her a shout out because I've met your wife. She's amazing, very supportive, Thank you. elegant, beautiful woman. You know, shout out to her. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So when we knew that we were pregnant with my daughter, I was actually offered to become the corporate director of food and beverage for Montage. Wow. And at that moment, I had already conversations of, of doing something different than hospitality just because of the time. And I wanted to really enjoy my daughter, which is my 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 first child. Mm-hmm. And I, I really wanted to enjoy seeing her going from a baby to a little girl, et cetera, et cetera. So at that moment, I started already creating a consulting company. And, you know, I, I had already almost given my boss, my general manager, the Penry, my, my notice that I was leaving when corporate threw this curveball uh, at me and asked me if I wanted to become the, the director, the corporate director of food and beverage. Hold on. So uh, I want to hear this because I think it's important for listeners, a couple things. So one family, most important to you, you want to make sure you spend time with your brand new family you're creating, but you had put in your notice or were you creating your consulting company? Like in your mind, like, I really want to do something. I, I don't want to be in the hotel at this time of my life. Is that kind of how this started forming or was it, I don't want to be here anymore and I need to start something new? It was about family. It was not about me not wanting to do it because, I mean, I'm, I'm back in hospitality for a reason, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love it. I, I love to manage. I love to see people every single day. I like to see the results of, of, of a team. And, and that's the reason why I got back to hospitality. But backtrack a little bit. So I already had opened the company and I, and I was already doing some consulting on my free time, which I didn't have much back in the day, but I made the decision and, and, and I didn't want to go back. And I had partnered also with someone else that I didn't want to let down, right? So if I, I made the decision already to do that, mm-hmm. when I got offered to be the corporate director of food and beverage, I didn't, I, I, I never want to go back and say to this person, hey, I'm so sorry, I'm going to, I'm going to go back to hospitality because I got offered a better job, right? Which at right. the end of the day was my next dream goal to become a corporate. Yeah, I was going to say, it's a tough choice. So, but again, I am a man of my word and I had already made my, I have given my word to someone else and made my decision. So I had to tell the corporate office, no, I, I, I have made my decision. If you haven't heard, I have already given notice to my GM, which I gave 
45 day notice and ended up being three months. That's good notice. <laughs> ended, up, ended up being three months because they kept asking me to stay, to stay, to stay until we could actually fill my position. So anyway, so left hospitality from nine, November, December of 2019 to the moment that I, I, I started here at the Fontainebleau, which is May of this year. So it was probably, what was that, three years? Yeah, about three years you were out of the game. So I was three years out of the game, learned a lot. I, yeah. I couldn't be happier making the decision that I made back in the day because I learned so many things by opening my own company. And and, uh, and successfully, we continue to have that company. It's not that I, I closed the company or left the company. We continue to have that company. But now with the partners that I have, they manage day by day. I continue to participate in some of the decisions and some of the um, uh, some of the, the the responsibilities of the company, but not on the day by day operations. So yeah, um, in your free yeah. time, nights, weekends, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, I want to touch on this because I, I found it really valuable when I had my company and came back that I felt like a different person. Like I understood business more. What did you put into practice when you came back to hotels? Well, I think they a lot of people in hotels they just do what they told to do, right? And, and they're being directed to do. So when I opened my company, I realized that now when you think about your company and every decision that you make is gonna affect or benefit your entire company and yourself. Because now whatever happens in your company happens to you. Either is is generating money or losing money, which you know that a lot of us lose money with companies at the beginning and, mm-hmm. and sometimes you lose money forever, right? So there's companies that never kick off and, and continue to lose money and not make the right money. So when I got back to hotels, I realized that if I look at the hotel even more than I looked at it before as my own company and the decisions that I'm making, I'm going to be making them if it benefits the entire company or not. More than if the, it benefits my division, it benefits me personally. And, and that's what I learned the most. And now I can tell you that every decision that I take is, is all about, are we doing the right thing for the business? Are we really benefiting the business as a whole, the owners? I think based on that, it has made me a bigger director. It has, give, it has gave me a lot more responsibility to myself because all the decisions that I take now are, are with that vision. But I think it's, it's what you learn the most when you're opening your own business. And so I, I agree with all of those things. And I want to touch on where you are today. Uh, because as all the listeners know, you, you called me a Fontainebleau fanboy sometimes because we've had so many alumni. We've had your boss, Patrick Fisher, on the show. We've had a ton of people who've come through there in great places. So you're at this fantastic hotel now, the Fontainebleau Miami Beach. How did that happen and how are you liking it so far? I'm loving it. You know, it's been six months, give it a take. And then I, I'm just loving it. It's, it's a great property. When I decided to start looking to get back to hospitality just because the company that I have on the side was growing, but was not growing as fast as I needed to. You know, when the company is owned by three people and you have to feed three homes and you're used to making good amount of money and you have a good living and then you're spending money because you want to grow the company. But the only thing you're doing is spending, you know, a dollar comes in and two dollars come out. It gets to a point that you realize that, hey, for how long I'm going to be able to sustain it. Right. So. I decided that I needed to little by little start looking and, and see what was out there. I wanted to come back to hospitality with the right job in the right place. I did not want to take any position other than being the right position. And I didn't want to look at any company other than being the right company. So long story short, I got introduced to Patrick. Patrick worked for Montage, same as me, but we didn't actually overlap. I left Montage and Patrick came a couple of months after me to Montage. So what happened is some people, through people that we know, Patrick was looking for a VP of food and beverage. My resume got into his hands and we started the conversations and it was quick. I remember having a Zoom call with Patrick and then two days after I was already here at the hotel and I was actually living in Houston, Texas. So I, I did a Zoom video call with Patrick on a Tuesday. I think it was a Tuesday. And then long story short, I'm here on, on, a, on a Thursday already spending three days on property to make sure that he was happy with me. The team was happy with me and I was happy and I was looking at this hotel like if it was the right place for me to, to, to come back to hospitality. And, you know, fast forward, I'm here six months after loving it. I think it's a great property. I always knew it was a great property being in Miami for so long. Uh, we always looked at the Fontainebleau as, as, as the biggest biggest boy right mm-hmm. uh, on miami beach and being here i can tell you that it's just amazing the the staff here the managers they care so much and they have so much proud for the name fontainebleau that is just amazing to see 
And it's what's made this, this hotel so far very, very successful. And, and me being here, looking at it with different eyes, fresh eyes, and bringing people that also are looking at the, at the property with different fresh of eyes. We're just trying to do the best we can to continue to make this hotel even better than when it was, which is very difficult because he has been already that iconic and amazing place. Yeah, you can say there's been a lot of great leaders that have come through there. But I've been through that hotel a bunch in the last couple of months, and you feel just a difference. The vibe is changing. You see a lot of new faces out there. You know, what do you think is going to be happening in the next year or two there? Where does Fontainebleau want to go? Well, you know, we're opening Vegas. This is this is not a secret. This is out there, and already everybody knows that hopefully by the end of next year, our Vegas property will, will be open. 3,700 rooms, 22 venues. Uh, nightclub, day club, uh, 550,000 square feet of meeting space is just humongous, right? One of the largest structures in Vegas when it comes to hotels. So when when we knew that Vegas was opening and, and, and what the owner wanted to do, and, and now we're really making a brand because this is very important. Fontainebleau used to be a one hotel brand. Now the brand is expanding, is growing. And, you know, one, one of the things that happened in the hotel industry for everybody out there that doesn't know this is many of the big groups that are looking to do conventions in hotels, usually the bigger groups and the bigger companies are looking to do these type of big conventions into different spaces, right? Just because of how big of this the country is, they want to do a convention on the West Coast, so half of the company can actually attend to, and then the other half to be on the other side of the country, which is the East Coast. Now having a Vegas hotel and having a Miami hotel, we're going to be able to cater to those big companies that want to do two different programs. One on the West Coast, they can go to Vegas and then they can come to Miami. With that said, having a Vegas being a brand new hotel that is going to have top-notch technology, you know, top-notch services and, and brand new product and things like that. Now it's time for us to really elevate our services, elevate our product to be on this, at the same level with Vegas. And in, in, in order for that to happen, even though this hotel is being well-maintained and kept, definitely there is money that needs to be put into the property in order for us to be closer to what Vegas is going to be all about. So the big plans, and I, I don't think this is a secret, is that we're renovating Fontainebleau. We're putting a, a lot of money into, into this hotel. We already started, so we have our three soaring so rental towers, which are our south towers, are already renovated or getting into the renovation stage. We're hoping to finish the second tower by the end of this month, beginning of December. So with that said, half of the resort is going to be already renovated when it comes to rooms, which is amazing and exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, there is plans of renovating our restaurants. There is plans of renovation for our pool, which we already started. So the pool deck, the, the turf outside on the pool is, is already started with renovations. Uh, and then we will continue with more room renovations. So that way, by the end of next year, when Vegas opens, we're going to be very close to that level, right? We're not going to be brand new because it's, it's not a brand new hotel, but we're going to have a brand new product when it comes to rooms, brand new product when it comes to restaurants, and brand new product when it comes to our pool deck, right? Including our cabanas too, that are going to get renovated next year. So very exciting projects. When you talk about being in a big hotel like this one and having a, a big operation like this one, add to that, all the renovations that are happening, there is no better place to be than, than a big place and an iconic place like the Fontainebleau to get all of that done. Yeah, I think you nailed it. And I can see the changes happening. I see you're constructing the new ballroom and convention center already across the street. With a, we're going to have a bridge that goes over it. So you're investing a ton of money into that place. It's exciting to see what's going on there. So for you, you know, you've been very gracious with your time. I know how busy you are, but I want to ask one more question. So Armando, you, you've been all over the country, you've worked for great brands, you work for all different kind of leaders. But if young Armando was coming out of school today and he was on your team at the Fontainebleau, what advice would you give him starting today? First of all, will be do not rush. Don't think that if a promotion doesn't happen in the next six months or so, it's because you're failing. More than rushing to get the new title or the new job, learn as much as you can. Try not to run, try to walk, and then learn every single step to get to where you want to be. Again, I was very, very blessed and thankful that my career actually kicked off pretty pretty fast. But if I tell you looking back, you know, you think you could probably learn a couple of other things in, in, in the way, not in, in that trip or not try to work long hours to kind of learn what you did not learn in your career as you got to be a director? Absolutely. I think, when, you know, if you look at my progression, some of it was pretty fast and I needed to learn by 
starting myself by trying to like go to different departments and, and, and see what they were doing and how they were doing it because I didn't get the chance to really be. So I will tell everybody, you know, don't rush. Take your time. Learn every every single step that you that you have and that you're going to be making in your career and try to understand what your bosses are, are actually doing on a daily basis right so don't don't challenge them every single day just challenge yourself and and, and ask them to teach you everything instead of challenging everybody that is around you because you want to learn as quick as possible but that would be my my advice to be honest with you at the end of the day everybody's different and when someone says or Amanda, you got to be an FMB director when you were 30 years old. Well, that doesn't mean that everybody can do it. And not because I'm better than anybody. I was just put in the right, the right place with the right people at the right moment. So definitely has nothing to do with me. It has something to do with me, but everything else to do with many, many people around me and, and the companies that I work with and for. So don't, do not rush and do, do not compare yourself. Just do your best every single day. Try to absorb as much as you can and ask the proper questions. If you don't know it, ask. There is nothing wrong with asking. There is nothing wrong with setting up some time with your bosses and, and learn from them. As a good example, I used to tell that to my boss. I need to have an hour of your time every single week because I need to learn financials. And I created my own agenda to learn P&Ls, to, to learn expenses, to learn how to accrue expenses, uh, how to move labor from one place to another and why. But also, you need to you, you cannot just ask your boss to give you everything. You need to go and really search for the answers that you want to get, right? So challenge your bosses and tell them, give me an hour every single week so I can learn from you as much as I can. Or and if he's not your boss because he's too busy, then the, the next person, right? You know, you can go to accounting and say, accounting, I want to learn more about the PL. So can I set up a time with the assistant director of finance once once a week to learn financials and and, and that is the only way that you're going to be able to learn as much as you can and, and, and for you to get involved in everything that you probably not involved on a daily basis and become just a much better manager every single day. Gosh, that's, that's just great advice. Armando, I'm very grateful that you spent this hour with us here today. I know how busy you are at that hotel and we truly appreciate it. Steve, thank you very much for your time. It's always a pleasure talking to you and thank you for everybody for listening and, and hopefully all of these advices and conversation is, is worth the shot. This podcast is brought to you by Biscayne Coffee. Biscayne Coffee was founded with a giving spirit and a big idea to enjoy delicious coffee roasted in Miami while helping save Biscayne Bay and the animals that live there. As a former food and beverage director, I can assure you these are some of the best quality beans on the planet. 10% of every coffee sold is donated to nonprofits to help preserve Biscayne Bay for all to enjoy. Visit BiscayneCoffee.com today and use promo code MENTOR at checkout to save 10% on your first order. Drink good coffee and create a good outcome.